directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Ron Paul is a man who has always been an inspiration. In fact, he was one of the reasons I became involved in libertarianism. In 2007, the country had grown tired of the wars, and the public was riding on the horse of glory of the booming housing market. was good, but it was a house of cards. Ron Paul, the small man from Texas, had been warning the country about an impending financial collapse. But his message fell on deaf ears. I initially thought he was crazy. Being a soldier in the Army at the time, I was wrongfully, and goddamn, wrongfully, a neocon. A brazen individual filled with hate and a one-dimensional view of right and wrong. I was ignorant, confused, and goddamn it, I was bloodthirsty. I wanted to make the Middle East a sheet of glass because they messed with America. I was wrong. Ron talked about crazy stuff like blowback and our constant involvement in the Middle East. Fortunately for us Americans, I wasn't in office and I didn't have the authority to make those decisions. Ron Paul showed me peace, how intervention causes these problems. I began to see the innocent blood that was sacrificed, the hate that was spread, and the unnecessary money that was flushed down the drain. For what? For the goddamn military-industrial complex. Ron Paul's messaging of how government tramples liberty has been the rallying flag for not just me, but for many libertarians from minarchist to anarchist. Ron Paul has never been a flip-flopper. He's been consistent for over 40 years in his messaging. Dr. Paul has warned people of the country for decades about financial breakdowns, bubbles, central power, and unchecked power of the state. He's by far the most radically anti-government candidate that has ever run. Ron Paul spoke about boiling the federal government down to the most basic of functions. Ron Paul spoke about ending the welfare state, cutting every dime out of foreign aid, halt overseas military action, and bring home the goddamn troops. He would have returned the country back to the gold standard and would have abolished the Federal Reserve. This man showed courage, despite all temptations that an office holder is exposed to. He did the right thing. He stayed on course, never wavering from true north. He never wafted. He never drifted away from principle. From Brian Doherty's book, Ron Paul's Revolution, presidential candidate and longtime representative Ron Paul of Texas is a true enigma in American politics. At once, a libertarian who believes in outlawing abortion and halting illegal immigration and a traditional conservative who opposes the drug war, the Patriot Act, and America's interventions in the Middle East. Ron Paul has shown a remarkable portrait of an extraordinary man who has become a hero to a rising generation of cross-partisan young activists and has inspired a generation of libertarians like myself. Ron Paul's American author, physician, and retired politician who served the U.S. Representative for Texas's 22nd Congressional District from 1976 to 1977, and again from 1979 to 1985, and for Texas's 14th Congressional District from 1997 to 2013. 
and as a candidate in the Republican primaries of 2008 and 2012. Dr. Paul is a critic of the federal government's fiscal policies, especially the existence of the Federal Reserve and the tax policy, as well as the military-industrial complex and the war on drugs. He has also been a vocal critic of mass surveillance policies such as the U.S. Patriot Act and the NSA surveillance program. He was the first chairman of the conservative PAC Citizens for a Sound Economy and has been characterized as the intellectual godfather of the Tea Party movement. Okay, Raleen, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot, Raylene. Are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Ron Paul! First off, I'd like to say, I'd like to preface the show by pointing out with the utmost respect and appreciation for all you've done to contribute to the freedom movement and human liberty. It has been a dream to get you on the show ever since I started the Johnny Rocket Launchpad five years ago. And you've influenced a generation of libertarians and have definitely inspired me. And you were one of the reasons many of us are here at now advocating for limited government, personal liberty, free markets and choice. Thanks, Dr. Paul, for being here. Great to be with you today, Johnny. So, so really quick, I, I know that uh, Freedom Fest, uh, my buddy, gave you a comic book called the Liberty Force Comic. And I have a picture of you with the uh, comic book. I just want to know if you've read it or not. I just got to know. Well, if I did, it just doesn't flash into my mind right now. So I don't, I don't have it. <laughs> so I, guess, nope, I see nope. a lot of that, but I can't quite visualize it. Oh, no problem, sir. Hey, so there, lately there's been a lot of support for Bernie Sanders in the last few years, and Bernie has seemed to gain a lot of support from people that had originally supported you, and you and Senator Sanders, Sanders are completely opposites of the political spectrum, yet I see so many former Ron Paul supporters jumping on the Sanders bandwagon. What do you think happened? Why, why is this going on? Well, you know, I don't run into individuals like that personally because I'm not running for office. Uh, I I think there's some reason for that to happen uh, because, um, you, you know, he's independent-minded. We did work together. We had some agreements about not uh, subsidizing corporations, you, you know, corporatism is something that was not his favorite nor mine. And he was smart enough to come to me that if he was wanting to cut, you know, a special interest subsidy deal for corporations and big business, and sometimes it would involve the military, he was, uh, he, you know, uh, he and I were able to work together. But uh, I think since he's been running uh, for, uh, for the um, presidency, I think his uh, positions have changed a little bit. But there was reason to uh, see him as an individual that uh, they should at least listen to. Uh, but uh, I, don't, uh, I don't think he has much of a strong leaning toward libertarianism. Right on. I agree. Yeah. The Ron Paul revolution ignited the brush fires of liberty and hearts all across this nation. Your message hit a nerve and people took heed. Which topics do you foresee libertarians making the most impact with in this next election? 
Well, you know, I think it's um, it's early because if there's a war going on, I would uh, hope that the war would get most people's attention. I spend a lot of time uh, now, as well as I did in the Congress, just trying to prevent these wars from breaking out because they're, it's, uh, it's so consuming of wealth and life and, and such a big problem and so hard to get out of wars under these conditions. But uh, if it's if it's like it is right now, I don't think the war and foreign policy will be the, the big, big issue. Uh, for some reason, it's uh, interesting to see so many people in uh, being involved in talking about the economy when, on one hand, we hear the economy's at peak, uh, there's no unemployment, and uh, and there's no inflation and all these things. Well, I think there's uh, some misinformation there. I think there is some economic problems. I think uh, that there are a lot of people, or the, the uh, people living on the street right, right. Uh, aren't just accidental, and uh, and this is this is something that we have to deal with and not pretend that everything is perfect. It, why Why would Trump be so eager to really, really work hard at keeping interest rates down and go to the extreme of having tariffs on if he wasn't panicked about something in the economy? Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, for me, working on the personal liberty issue is always the big goal. And, and then, uh, if it isn't a war going on, it's a war against the American people and the economy here at home. And probably close to that, which can be a big issue, especially for young people, is uh, personal liberty, civil liberties, you know, that, and libertarians ought to have a, a strong appeal to uh, to young people. It's just too bad we're not hearing it in this particular campaign. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Paul, what is your position on Andrew Yang's idea of universal basic income? And what do you think about the automation replacing people and workers? How do you think the U.S. will deal with this? Well, universal income is total nonsense. You can't achieve that. That's not going to do it. If you have things replacing people, it it, it depends. I mean, we had to we had to uh, replace the individuals that took care of horses and buggies in order right. to build yeah. automobiles. And you <laughs> yeah, know, that's true. this yeah. whole idea that if something is going to destroy it, no, I'm all for I'm all for the progress. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think it's great. And they worry more than they have to because there might be a law between in in the in the uh, transition, right. uh, what? Uh, but I'm, I'm, uh, uh, you know, really, really impressed with. Uh, looking at what the last 200 years have done, especially the last 100 years as far as technology and improvement, all of this, you know, where they used to have to work 15 hours a day, uh, they can they can produce and maybe work six or seven hours a day, and people, <clears throat> people live a lot better. So there's tremendous productivity. There's a tremendous improvement in uh, standard living for many, but it could be a lot better if uh, this technology wasn't used to uh, destroy people, in, you know, in the issue of war and uh so often technology is um is used for that it's used for increasing the standard of living but that's why attitudes have to change and that's why i endorse the libertarian principle of non-aggression just think how wonderful the world would be if we just have a few more people especially in government who knew and understood and would follow the principle of non-aggression absolutely Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A common issue, yes, a common issue for those who wake up to the evils of statism and the long reach of their own oppression is to feel overwhelmed, hurt, and anger. How do you find the fortitude to keep pressing forward? And have you ever personally battled with a loss of hope? And any advice for us? 
No, I, I really don't. I mean, I get discouraged at times about, about why we can't do better. Annoyed is more the other word. But mm-hmm. a lot of people ask me that. How did you? How did you put up with it? You you have a different <laughs> understand. You have a, bit, a different understanding, and uh, you were up there with these people that uh, really didn't care that much, and things didn't change that much. Um, and I said, well, I never really expected to be elected. I was just speaking out, and I thought, well, mm-hmm. nobody would pay any attention. But then when I got there, I thought, well, I want to just set a record, and, and I won't get reelected, and that'll, that'll be it. So I had I had expectations that were quite different. I had low expectations, and yet I think that I was fascinated with the fact that I got some attention. You know, we, we did get a lot of attention on foreign policy, although, and I think we're winning some of those uh, victories slowly, and certainly we got some attention on monetary policy. I think the Fed is under much uh, greater attack now than it ever has been and I think with the next downturn the Fed is going to have to answer a lot of questions because in the past 10 years a lot of people have come to realize that uh, the mess is caused by monetary uh, you know pop manipulation and uh, if anybody conservatives or libertarians and at times liberals uh, if they want to reduce the size and scope of government uh, they have to uh, get rid of the Fed because that's this automatic taxation by just printing money and that that to me is a big issue and uh, I I think that uh, if we're if we're interested in curtailing big government you have to deal with a monetary issue absolutely Uh, Dr. Paul what do you think of the Libertarian Party? I know that you have a, you have some foundations in the Libertarian Party back in the 80s. What do you think of them? you think it's about messaging the ideas of liberty? you think they're doing a good job at that? And what do you think could be done to make the Libertarian Party maybe more effective? Well, we need more people in there that are libertarians. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's true. I I gave a speech at last last go around. There was the Libertarian Party was having it, but I was at I was I told them I was addressing the Libertarian wing of the Libertarian Party. There you go. <laughs> but, yeah. But no, I'm just dis- I'm disappointed with them. I mean, that last go around with Bill Weld on the <sighs> ticket uh, that that makes no sense whatsoever. No, I'm a I, technically I'm a lifetime member of the Libertarian party I never sent them back my card or anything <laughs> I'm always I'm always encouraging the libertarian party to uh, stick to, I mean they have room to stick a hundred percent with what they believe in mm-hmm. but this idea that well if we just go easy on here we're going to become a national party uh, that's not good but no I I wish them well and uh, some people uh, just can't stand the Republicans and Democrats and they want to work with libertarians I think they should I think they should try to influence them. But I think uh, I think since Harry Brown, we haven't had a really good candidate, you know, yeah, in the I'm Libertarian with you. Party. But I, I think it's if we had more people like um, like Harry Brown and others running, they they could get more attention. Last go around, it's just a shame that we didn't have a very active group when people mm-hmm. couldn't stand Trump, nor could they stand Hillary, and yet uh, Libertarians didn't do much better because they were trying to blend in. Oh, right. I know. I know. And I, by the way, Dr. Paul, please don't blame me because I had nothing to do with the Bill Weld thing and Gary Johnson. I didn't. <laughs> me <either. laughs> Just to let you know. Just to clarify that. I've often used your bravery and honesty as a personal inspiration in my own activism. How difficult was it for you to be involved in politicking? And what were your relationships like with other politicians? Were you unpopular? Well, I, um, my views were unpopular, you know, when I, uh, 
you know, if they would have been very popular, we would have never gone into Iraq. Mm -hmm. But my approach was um, understood what liberty was all about, that very strong believing and, and, and wanted to spread that message. But I never believed that it could be spread by any antagonistic arguments and debates and pushing and, and you know, obstructing and things like that. So I went out of my way, actually, and some people would criticize me, well, you were too friendly with those liberals. No, I wanted to always be on good terms with people because I was uh, always taught that if you have something to say worthwhile, they'll come and ask you. And on occasion, they would. They'd come and a few were converted. But it's very tedious, uh, mm -hmm. you, you know, to, to do it that way. But no, I felt uh, pretty good about how I got along with the members of Congress because uh, they, it was sort of, uh, you, you know, they, it, there, was a, there was an understanding. There was one time I had a vote, there was a vote, and most of the, there were many times if there was a single vote, everybody knew it would be my vote. But there was one time I came up, there was a single vote, and it wasn't mine. So I went over to him and I said, now listen here, I don't <laughs> want you taking away my reputation. <laughs> you're not allowed to do this. Right. So, uh, no, I kept it on that level. And then I tried to be, uh, uh, you, you know, as oriented toward the issues as I could be. And that was my approach with monetary policy. Uh, you know, I remember Sanders was on the uh, uh, banking committee when uh, we had Volcker and Greenspan and these guys coming in. And he'd yell and scream and all this kind of stuff. But that wasn't, that wasn't my approach. And uh, I mm -hmm. tried to at least have conversations with them. Uh, you know, you might even learn something where they're coming from. <laughs> so. Right. But uh, so I think I think demeanor and approach uh, is is pretty important. Uh, besides, I don't enjoy the other approach. Uh, but but if you think that you know if you just change your tune, all of a sudden they're going to love your message. It's not true. You have mm -hmm. to. Uh, the message is much different. It has to has a bigger audience. What you're doing is more important to change in the message. Reach as many people as possible so they understand what we're doing. And I. I talk about prevailing attitudes if the attitudes are anti-war uh, there may be pokey at stopping the war but they eventually will that's what happened with vietnam i'm mm -hmm. and today on my program i argue the case we have to be anti-war early you know before the exactly. war starts you know? right. mm -hmm. and that's that's the thing because i do not believe that uh, people uh you know really uh, enjoy war trump i don't think for a minute enjoys uh war but the the uh, the the message the message is uh, from me is that young people in the United States between 18 and 25 they get together and they say you know why why don't we have a war why and then the people over in uh, in in some Iraq or some other place and they say oh yeah they're 18 to 25 and we don't like Americans we're going to go to war young people don't do that they'd rather go play games which would be much better so. Exactly. Uh, but, but but they um, uh, the wars are started by old people who have special agendas and and that's where the evil exists. Interesting, Doctor Paul. What, what can be done with improving relations with Russia, and also what can be done to suppress a lot of the people who are very pro-war in the current administration? And do you actually see a war with Iran? Well, you know, they played games this week with Iran because uh, they said that we were close, close, they're going to attack us. And yesterday they announced, oh, they're not going to anyway, so uh, I, I guess there won't be a war now. So it's it's the provocation so that they can keep spe spending weapons. 
Uh, no, I, I'm spending money on weapons. I just think that uh, the Iranians do not want war. And uh, I think this war propaganda is just really, really bad that they do this. So um, I think we, we should uh, keep arguing the case. And I, it's just astounding that we took uh, a peace dividend in 1990 when the Soviet system collapsed. And it was moving along okay. We started trading and traveling and dealing with Russia. Then all of a sudden comes along and we had to have an enemy, you know, to fight. So they're back. They're back demanding. It's it's why why do we have people like Bolton in our government and Pompeo? Uh, so mm-hmm. even though I give I give the president the benefit of the doubt because I think he has some good instincts, but he doesn't have good judgment on his personnel. Exactly. And then, and then he then he gets into trouble and he backs off. I think that's what happened just recently on on Iran. They kept provoking and provoking and provoking, and finally, you know, he's put his foot down. And the other the other day he got annoyed with Bolton because Bolton, he said, Bolton, why, why'd you get me involved in Venezuela? That was a lousy coup you tried to pull <laughs> off. Right. So, so that, that's the kind of stuff that doesn't make any sense. Policy, it's policy determination, and um, policy is designed too often uh, to appease the people who are, who, are, who are the noisiest. And in Washington, the people themselves can be the boss and stop a war, but in the most part, when nobody's looking, uh, the military-industrial complex and the special interests and special governments in other countries provoke us and, and, and tell us that America and exceptionalism is so great that we have this moral obligation to spread it around the world. That attitude would have to change that uh, if you have an exceptional nation, you're doing a good job. The only way in a a free society or in a practical way that can be spread is by uh, setting a good example. And there was a time when America was a good example, but now, now it's horrible. You know, we have two foreign policies. We go and talk to people. We say, you do what we, uh, this is what we would like you to do. And they say, oh, yeah, okay, we can do that. And they said, fine, we'll send you some more money. And, but then once, then if they change their mind or somebody said, no, we're not going to do it, then we bomb them. And, exactly, uh, yeah. And, and, and that, that whole thing has to change. But it's not going to change with the clowns in Washington right now. You're going to have to get young people energized to move toward peace. And when you think about it, you, when you started off with Bernie Sanders, he's already moving in in that camp, you know, uh, right. although I think imperfectly. And uh, this is also the reason that I've complimented uh, Tulsi Gabbard, you know, uh, because she right now uh, has the best foreign policy of all the Democrats. Wow. No doubt. Speaking of young people, I caucused for you in 2012, and I really saw a definitive battle between the dinosaur Republicans in charge and the liberty-focused youth who were fighting to get you votes. Um, So uh, uh, because you've specifically influenced young voters and you're talking about the what we can do to harness their peace-loving nature and and the things like that and innovation, what are you concerned about uh, regarding our youth? Well, I think... I, I think the uh, mess that we have in social media doesn't uh, isn't very helpful, mm-hmm. and there's too much influence there. And there was a time uh, I know a lot of people, 
a lot of people in my family think, you know, Facebook is pretty neat. Hey, we haven't talked to our cousins, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really seductive. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you know how it was started, what they do, how much information they accumulate, and uh, they don't even charge you to you may use their services, but they use it to uh, help run the country and the world, and they are just nothing more than an arm of government. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, uh, that's where our biggest problem is, is that uh, too much information. I think our university system is just not worth much. Uh, I think people should be getting their education elsewhere as, uh, as, as much as possible from homeschooling and private schooling. But uh, that's, that's, uh, that's cultural Marxism and the professors, some of the stupid stuff they do and the evil things they do. Why isn't why will the board of directors? You think they would have something to say? But they, you know, they do these things, and then the principals uh, or you know the the leaders in the college come and they throw out the good guys and let this yeah. this junk go through. So it's a it's a you know uh, Adam said that none of this will work. The Constitution won't work if you don't have a moral society. And in in many ways, I think that uh, what we're talking about is a reflection of an immoral society. Yes, it's politics, but uh, if you're dealing with an immoral society, one that detests family life and children and all this thing, you you can't legislate. The government is not involved. Matter of fact, the government reflects that system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so it's not sending more people to Washington to try to legislate. And uh, well, what we need to do now is uh, have this universal education of course from the department of education and every one of our grade schools to teach them about patriotism you know that kind mm-hmm. of stuff that's yes. nonsense but uh some but the people are waking up there's a lot of people that uh know how bad the schools are and and when the crunch comes uh which it will come economically and socially uh then then there's a, there'll be an opportunity to reassess all this because i think i think our message is spreading that's where i'm optimistic that there's more people out there than anybody realizes so then uh, we'll have a chance to talk about monetary policy and personal liberty and 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 have an answer to this because right now it's it's going downhill rather rapidly uh mm-hmm. the big danger is is what if they decide to go in the wrong direction and they uh, they uh you know accept the tyrant to sort these things out that mm-hmm. that would be the great danger but the only thing that we can do is try to educate as many young people or anybody who thinks in a young way that that's the wrong way to go and we have to have to be very positive about the economic system and you know how people are supposed to run their lives and why non-aggression is uh, is is really a major solution and why uh non-intervention overseas is crucial if they want to live in a peaceful prosperous world Absol- absolutely dr paul uh dr paul really quick do you think that there's possibly going to be a uh, economic collapse i mean there's a lot of people from the mises institute who are predicting that Next year, possibly next year, there could be a major economic crash. Yeah, I, would agree. I, I would agree. I think there is going to be a big crash and a big correction. They cannot sustain this debt. It's a debt bomb, and there will be liquidation of debt. But uh, And Austrian economics shows you that you can predict the bubbles and the distortions, the malinvestment, and why debt is bad. But uh, they admit right off from the beginning, and Mises admitted this, you cannot uh, predict when it's going to happen because that involves many, many emotions and decisions and confidence levels. Uh, I mean, the system that we have now, the dollar system in the American empire, is uh, is not a very viable system. But... Mm-hmm. 
it's it's uh, people still trust in the dollar and they're frightened by our military power and they're going along with it but it's weakening i think our foreign policy is weakening mm-hmm. absolutely and eventually there's going to be some conclusion and when when i see the crash coming economically it'll be a problem but i think that we have antagonized and provoked so many people around the world that uh, people are going to pile on because if we can't bail them out militarily or we can't print more money like we did in in 2009 2010 bail everybody out uh, they right. don't they won't care a hoot about us and uh, and and that's when the empire ends but and I believe that'll happen and uh, the big question is is uh, what are we going to do to uh, contribute something in the replacement of it wow mm. Um, so Venezuela adopting democratic socialism was obviously a huge mistake um, we, economically. We all know this. But do you believe U.S. involvement in Venezuela right now is an act of aggression or empiricism? And what are your predictions? Our actions in Venezuela? Yes. Yes. Well, oh, yes. I think uh, I think sanctions are an act of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had bad economic policy. They were poor. And we've been messing around involved there for a long time. But two years ago, we put the worse trouble they got in, the stronger our sanctions were in. And that really drove them into the ground. Yeah, I think that's all, uh, uh, you know, a commitment of war. Uh, and it's uh, it, we, we shouldn't be there. And this whole idea that our CIA and our government should pick the next president say oh oh yeah guido's the president uh and 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 just say we we will pick the president i mean nothing could be more arrogant than that so no we need to just stay out of it completely and totally even even if one guy is definitely better than the other guy i don't think we should be involved because you might just undermine the benefits that the, that the good guy has but uh, mm-hmm. right now in venezuela i don't think the replacement uh of a cia uh endorsed candidate can be much better than Maduro. Right on. Dr. Paul, one final question. And okay. this is kind of a, this is a fun one. Should the U.S. colonize the moon and who owns the moon? <laughs> I guess whoever gets there and can put a stake down their military. I don't think it should be... Uh, I, I I think it's the silliest thing going on. That, and even some very, very wealthy, smart people are talking about, you know, in such and such state, uh, we're going to have, you know, a million people living out <laughs> on the moon and all these places. Heck, we can't, We don't even occupy the South Pole or the North Pole. Exactly. Yeah, there's exactly. actually some oxygen down there. <laughs> there's nothing up there. So uh, I, I, I think the government should stay out of it. They shouldn't be spending the money on it. And uh, I... I think what uh, the, these rich people, uh, if they made their money without any benefits from the government uh, and they're, they're going to have billions, I don't resent that at all. But I think they would do what some of them are doing right now, you know, uh, exactly. uh, invest in, investing in, in, uh, in I, I love the idea of space. I was a flight surgeon and, and even that, that was a long time ago. I thought, boy, wouldn't it be neat to be one of the first doctors ever go into space? And, that would uh, be kind of cool. Like, I like the whole idea, <laughs> but yeah. I don't like uh yeah you know uh i i just don't think the government should be involved i think uh, but but it's very very interesting uh so um, but they're not going to uh, uh avoid that they're going to try to justify now we have a space force just another right. boondoggle <laughs> yeah uh, but I, yeah. they're never going to build they're never going to build it because that crunch we're talking about is going going to happen uh, before that we have our space force 
Oh, Absolutely. Thank you so good much, news. Dr. Paul. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute honor. We've been waiting to talk to you for five years. And thank okay. you so much for the opportunity. Good. Enjoyed being with you. Thank you, sir. You have a great one, Dr. Paul. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Raylene, prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Guys, make sure you head on over to uh, ronpaulinstitute.org. You can check out uh, the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, which is where he's doing uh, most of his work these days. And then also head on over to supportblastoff.com. Uh, and check out the rest of our episodes and subscribe, you know, here the after party and uh, the rest of the content. But, um, yeah, and, and this after party, I guess, Ben, you're going to put Raylene and I on blast because we have listener questions. Oh, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for yeah, it. Yeah, ask us anything. So if you guys want to have asked us questions in the past, we haven't put out an Ask Us Anything show. So on this after party, please... Listen, subscribe, a dollar, and if you want to hear our take on current events, the world, and what pisses us off, please check us out for $2 on the all-nighter. Anyways, though, this Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas with my co-host, Miss Raylene Lightheart, and Mr. Benjamin Weigold. Have a great day. Rock and roll. Independence Day is a federal holiday in the United States commemorating the Declaration of Independence of the United States on July 4th, 1776. The Continental Congress declared that 13 American colonies were no longer subject to the monarch of Britain and were now united, free, and independent states. It was a revolution. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that men are more disposed to suffer while the evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having indirect object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. <laughs>